Welcome to the Learning Reinvented podcast brought to you by myself, James Politilo. And Katie Godin from The Learning Effect. There are lots of learning podcasts out there, so we wanted to do something slightly different. This week, we are looking at the future of learning and looking at how post the pandemic, the world of learning may look. We're delighted to welcome to the podcast, Hayley Baird and Erica Farmer. Thank you for joining us today. Do you want to introduce yourselves and tell our listeners a little bit about you both? Hi, uh, my name's Erica Farmer. I'm a digital learning consultant, 20 years corporate learning and development experience, uh, working with uh, some of the biggest UK brands such as British Gas Virgin, Specsavers and LV, and now the business director for Quantum Rise Talent Group. Brilliant. My name's uh, my name's Hayley Bird. So I've worked in uh, learning, development, education, career sector uh, now for about 13 years. So it's taken me on a bit of a, a squiggly career over that time. Um, but I've now I'm now also working as the learning and development director, uh, and I focus on the delivery aspect for Quantum Rise Talent Group Limited. Brilliant. Thank you very much, both. Now we wanted to get you onto the episode today because we wanted to look at the positive future for learning and development. So there's been lots of change through the pandemic. And what we wanted to do was think about as that starts to draw to a close, and hopefully we can see the light at the end of the tunnel and we can start to go out and meet people and return to some of the more normal functions of life that we would have done this time last year or a little bit before, we can start to think about what does that mean for learning development. So let's take a look back and think about how's the pandemic changed learning and has it? And if so, how? So Hayley, what do you think? How's the pandemic changed learning? I think the pandemic's changed learning uh, massively. I don't know if it's changed or just accelerated probably some of the things that have been bubbling away now for some time. Um, and I think that's happened across a number of sectors, but particularly in learning and development, obviously uh, training com companies, learning and development teams, education as a whole uh, has had to go through this, this virtual transformation really to be able to keep going. So businesses in order to be able to keep that function churning in this time and to really support their people through this change they've had to embrace being able to deliver what they do really well face to face but in the virtual space. Erica what are your thoughts? Yeah I think um, th this virtual learning thing's been kicked down the road probably for a lot of L&D teams uh, depending on the organisation that you're talking to and uh, we were delivering online learning in LV in 2014 and it just became part of what we did. However, with some organisations, they stuck to, like Hayley says, what was done really well face to face. So um, I think it's changed it for several reasons, one being cost. Uh, we've recognised that, you know, some of the impact financially in the last year has impacted L&D budgets. And that has been a driver to go online. But actually, I think the organisations and L&D teams who've really taken this seriously and understood the benefits can see the benefit of really great online learning being as good as, if not better than that perhaps traditional face to face space where you know, learners might sit in the classroom all day. It's not particularly very flexible in terms of if I need to go and pick up the kids at three o'clock. I missed the last hour and a half's training, you know, which seems unfair when you think about it. Actually, in the online space, it provides a lot more flexibility. So I think that's been a big thing. And also it supported people's mental health during the pandemic, uh, which has been a fundamental touch point for some people as well. 
Do you just want to, so you both talked about online learning, do you just want to expand on what that means? Because it's one of those terms that we find means so many different things to different people, different organisations, even different suppliers. So what does online learning mean to you? That's a really good question. And I think when when we say online learning, that does bring about many preconceptions of what online learning is uh, or always has been. And I suppose for me, and I don't know whether you, you agree, Erica, probably want to build on this, but for me, it's that remote learning. It's about being able to learn from anywhere at any time. Um, and I suppose the means of that generally is by accessing things online. So uh, it could be a virtual classroom. So people are attending a live facilitated event, which is instructor led, uh, similar to how they would access face to face training, but done very, very differently. Um, and, and also being able to access things like resources, materials that support and embed that learning. Um, and then you've got more traditional e-learning solutions as well, which are likely to support uh, some of that instructor led, some of those instructor led sessions. So I think learning online isn't just about uh, bringing a face to face session into Zoom or Teams. And it's not just about clicking a link to an e-learning module that's mandatory and has to be completed. There's there's such a different variety of things and, and places that people can access information. Going back to pre-pandemic, we were working with clients who were in different stages of evolution on that journey. So some people who were very advanced on their journey, this was already part of what they did. And then, you know, people who, who weren't even in that space, everything was face to face. The, the whole online thing may be for a bit of compliance learning. So, you know, it, it's interesting to think about that. Katie, what are your views? What have you seen? Yeah, I think definitely like from what all of you guys have said, like people's perception of online training is definitely kind of more of a scorn course. So I've got to go on for an hour, sit there and click and get bored. But that isn't actually online training. And what we're doing online in our everyday lives is still training. So if I need to fix something, I'll look at a YouTube video and I might find a guide. I might go to a forum. I might go to a blog. That's all still learning, but we're not reflecting that in the workplace. And I, I thought COVID would have been a, a catalyst in making that happen a bit more. But I don't think it has been actually. Now we're a year on and kind of reflecting on that. I think some people have have changed the other way because they've had to so they've had to go from face to face to online and that's fine but whether they've done it good or not yet yeah, is still to be answered and I think there's still a way to go to actually get really good learning in the workplace that's online. And I think coming back to that point of it's so different for different people you know you've seen some people really think back and like you said fundamentally rebuild their teams or their offer and think about what they're trying to do and then at the other end people have gone someone's just emailed me and I can put a learning platform in it'll only take 20 days and then I can push content out to everyone and yeah we're online now or mm. gone to someone and said here's all of our online packages and someone said I'll turn those into SCORM learning for you or we can sit on Zoom all day so I think there's been some really different responses across the piece and you know what I'd like to think about is is this session we want to look about the positive changes and, and where that's going to go going forward so let's think about eight, 12 to 18 months time what would we like learning to look like given this catalyst has sped things up or move things on so what are your visions going forward Erica what are your thoughts 
Yeah, it's interesting because Hayley and I talk a lot about this. So we've come from two different businesses and we've come together to create one new business. And the clients that we've brought with us on the journey are the clients that are fundamentally moved very quickly in the pandemic, recognised it wasn't exactly what you've just said. I'm just going to lift it and drop it onto Zoom or lift it and drop it into SCORM. But actually started thinking about what does this mean for my five year plan or my 10 year plan and my fundamental learning and development strategy? It wasn't just a that's good enough, that'll do type mindset. So I think uh, what we're starting to hear and feel now is the conversations around the blended piece. But more than that, what does our flipped classroom strategy look like? What does our blended strategy look like? What does gamification look like? And we mean proper gamification, not just putting in a leaderboard into an online learning management system. So. We're working with some clients at the moment are trying to understand, you know, what to, how does that tie into our skills platform in the future, our apprenticeships, our vocational learning? Um, you know, when we were at British Gas, which was I was probably there kind of five or six years ago, we were then talking about, you know, artificial intelligence and, um, you know, uh, virtual reality and how can I blow up a boiler in a, cli in a client's home without actually blowing up a boiler, you know, for our apprentices uh, who are training to be engineers. So I think all of that is come to the forefront now in terms of real investment into good L&D because we recognise it's been such a thing that people have craved for over the pandemic and that in itself is given further acceleration into taking it seriously. It's not just dropping a subject matter expert into a classroom and suddenly that's our L&D offering. It's so much more than that. So Haley and I talk a lot about creativity, innovation, you know, how can we engagement, interactivity, all of this stuff is fundamental to not just L&D, but your employee value proposition. How do you attract great people? How do you retrain, re retain great people? So I think HR and L&D teams are having to think about this whole piece, really, not just, oh, my God, we need to get people compliant and we need to get them through a SCORM package. So there's definitely further conversation around the wider piece and technology happening right now. Eileen, yeah. what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, in the next 12 to 18 months, I think Eric has already alluded to, to this in saying there's some organisations that are, that are thinking beyond that. So it's, there's going to be organisations now that have really shifted in terms of their own mindset and approach to their L&D strategy. And I think that's that that's going to kind of pave the way for the future, really. And I think the, the, the acceleration that we've gone through and what we've been almost forced to do has actually really opened the eyes of a lot of organisations to think about how can they embed learning better in the workplace you know we've all been on training courses where we've traveled somewhere stayed overnight uh, sat in a room for a day had some good conversations and gone back to the workplace and nothing really tangible has changed or one or two key elements of that might stick and might translate into it into action in the workplace but now we've got an opportunity to break that down into much smaller chunks and and to learn that information whilst you're sat in the environment that you're going to apply it and I think there's a real opportunity now to be able to bring a lot of that to life and to really start to embed change in terms of skills knowledge behaviors um, in the workplace by accessing training at a time when it's more relevant as well and I think you know you raised some key points there, and I think we've all been there and we've probably all at points in our career been architects of things that weren't the greatest you know and I remember being back in organizations and the only you could only get people to out for a day and you had to get as much as you could in the day and it just becomes you know you think of it it's just a daft outcome it doesn't really work but at the time that was your that was the evolution we were on and that was better than what came before 
And I think for any organisation, from my point of view, you can come in and look at it at a point of time and go, it's not great or it could be better. And I think it's as long as it's on a journey and as long as that's not stagnated where it is, you want to be able to progress and, and take those things forward. So I don't think there will be an ideal 12 to 18 months, in my opinion, but I think there will be hopefully evolution to some of those things. Katie, what are you seeing in terms of hopes and beliefs that you'd want to see in the next 12 to 18 months for people? I think it's people using like the innovation and the creative ideas that they've had in COVID in, in general and applying that and like their change in mindset as well, because I think everyone has had to check. Well, we all have to have to change. There isn't anyone that hasn't had to. But whether it's kind of like going to the gym and like doing that differently, like in front of the TV with YouTube or I don't know, downloading an app and going running that way or do more baking. But like all those things that you like your normal life and Zoom drinks on a Friday evening with your mates all those normal things you changed you adapted and you were able to kind of form some sort of normal life back again weren't you so I, i'm hoping that people can use that innovation that creativity to kind of run with their learning and actually put that in in the workplace and use all the great things that people are doing and and not just go back to what the, they were doing before in the same old kind of boring workshops online courses make it fun for people so they actually want to want to be part of it and I think, you know, the last year is given L&D stretch and mm. new career opportunities and, you know, access to new technologies that perhaps we wouldn't have even thought about before as well. So I think it's great to talk about the learner and the organisation, but let's think about the benefit to L&D uh, mm. and what does that mean for us as well? Yeah, Erica, I'd pick up on that because my, my thoughts are, it's really, I want it to fundamentally change what we're doing in L&D to look at it from a different perspective, because a lot of the innovation I've seen in my 20 odd year career has been to fix L&D problems, not to fix business problems. So, you know, if, if I think back of the evolution of learning tech, so my first bit of learning tech was, I think, 2001. Um, and, you know, we were, we were putting stuff in to solve a problem and, and then we went and you, you've seen that evolution. I've seen the move, but it hasn't really helped solve business problems. I actually think the first bits of learning tech I were about solving business problems and then other bits of learning tech have added on to make those bits of learning tech less cumbersome because you do something and it changes it. So, you know, if we think SCORM learning came about just to get compliance reporting and to be able to not take people out of classrooms to do their fire safety training, then we get learning experience platforms, which because we want to have something that feels more like our consumer life. But you, you then come back and it's back to what you talked about earlier about doing something real in the workplace, back to the apprenticeship where you can say, right, people don't really understand risk. You know, we, we force everyone in every organisation to go through fire training, yet there's probably not much nuance and we manage to get through our day to day lives without creating fire or burning ourselves down or any of those things. But then you go into a workplace where the high risk may be different or you go into a workplace where there isn't really very much high risk, but they can be treated in exactly the same way. But if you're ticking a box, whereas what are we doing to drive the business performance or change of culture? And I think there's so much, so many systems, so many different ways of working to change how we look at learning and go, let's forget about learning as an outcome. Let's think about business innovation as an outcome, career progression, realising your potential. Because I think if we try to make learning the outcome, 
we get stuck in a curriculum based course based mentality where I'm assessed off against my knowledge and I'm probably given a bit of a sheet dip approach, whereas we all the four of us are all learning professionals with a ton of experience, but we will all have a very different starting point, very different skill sets and the point to develop us forward will be different because we want to go in different directions as well. Yet, if we were four people sat in a customer service centre somewhere, we'd probably get the same learning approach and, you know, we'd. but yet we could have come from equally different backgrounds. So that's my hope is that we have something that's really knitted back to business problems, but also takes the best of the personalisation we can drive through. Just just going back to Katie's point as well around some of the let's you know not wanting to lose lose all the great stuff that's happened the great stuff we've invested ourselves in in the last twelve months is you know how amazing would it be if we could keep hold of all the great stuff we've learned and be able to really make that even better and continue developing that whilst being able to introduce some of the things that we really missed as well uh, you mm. know without going a hundred percent one way or the other but being able to really we're going to be in a position now where we're going to have that benefit of experience that we've just gone through with all those things that we already did and worked really well before that we've had to let go of and be able to combine the two and I think that's where the where the magic will really start to happen going forward. And that's where L&D has an opportunity. Back to your mm -hmm. point there, James, you know, we can't just all go back to the sheep dip in the classroom facilitating off a of PowerPoint, bullet points, etc. We've now, and this is how we like to work with our clients, we we now as L&D have an opportunity to set the tone for that digital future. Mm -hmm. you, know, you look at the um, uh, World Economic um, Jobs Report, look, look at the next 10 years, I think it's eight out of the 10 skills that are required in the workplace over the next 10 years are digital skills. And funnily enough, the other two are emotion intelligence and communication, you know, so, so no surprises there. So actually, forward thinking L&D now needs to be sitting down at the table and by the way if you don't already have a chair at the table you go and make yourself a chair at the table mm -hmm. and sit down and say right guys you know let's have a look at our business strategy let's have a look at our ed tech let's have a look at our, you know our employee value proposition let's have a look at our gen z strategy or whatever it might be and say what do our customers want from us well we know that a lot of customers want that um you know that kind of amazon quick swipe to buy type approach where it's less hassle for me i don't want it to interfere with my day-to-day -day routine as a consumer don't want to have to pick up the phone and speak to a contact center because there's an issue how can we digitize our whole mindset around this not just provide training on how microsoft teams works and don't don't get me wrong there's a place for that of course there is but actually we've got an opportunity now to really start to shape and influence what that future looks like for our clients and our stakeholders and our customers it's putting the people of the organisation at the centre of, of, of everything that you design, isn't it? And thinking about that accessibility, that flexibility, and not just accepting that as a byproduct of, of digital learning, but actually maximising it to its to its true potential. Definitely. I think it is that, you know, we talk about blend and people will think blend is, oh, the bit of classroom, bit of online, but no, the blend is the organisational blend. And one of the things I've I've talked about is the evolution I've seen in training is, you know, people will talk about originally you would facilitate a, you know, a room of people, you might facilitate one person in a conversation or someone, you know, set of people in online learning. We've also got a skill now to facilitate an organization mm -hmm. and, and facilitate everyone in a more collective and cohesive way. And L and D can't be the knowledge police. 
They can't be the block in the chain. They can't be the control mechanism that maybe they've been in the past. And Erica, you talked about the seat at the table and you know, I've been in broader HR roles in lots of lots of my career as well. I've had recruitment roles and you know, you have to look at it holistically. But in so many organisations I've, I've been in, HR has been fighting for a seat at the table and L&D hasn't even had a seat on the HR table, which is one step below that. So it's looking at how L&D becomes its own function, you know, as, as a right within the overall people experience, but also with the business looking at business performance, because you've got to look at data, you've got to look at linking into processes, you've got to look at workforce planning. You can't just be thinking about curriculum, classroom, maybe linking into an HR strategy, maybe getting once a year TNA out that you do something. It's got to be more holistic and, and wider than that. And, so, and some of that, James, is the story that we tell ourselves as learning and development professionals. What, why are we learning and development professionals? Why are we not um, performance professionals or business outcome professionals? You know, because if that's what we're truly going to focus on, then then our uh, our coach, uh, Haley and I employ a coach. Our, our coach talks about, you know, the words that you use are what starts to drive your own behaviour. So let's think about holding that ugly mirror up to ourselves and say, you know, what, what's going well, but what could be even better for us? Because we're very good at giving out this advice to our stakeholders and our clients, but how good are we at actually looking at that mirror, understanding what's our own accountability in that space? I think that's where we need to start with this stuff. Yeah, and interestingly, we had a very long debate when we set up our business. So we, we call, our business is called The Learning Effect, and we talked about we wanted to be about outcomes. We wanted to be about, you know, you don't have, doesn't have to be big to make a change. It's actually those little things that make a difference. So we based our logo on the butterfly effect and it all came from there. But the one word that we struggled with most was learning. Mm. And we're like, we don't want to be, we do want to be the learning effect, but we don't because we wanted to take people towards that performance outcome. You know, we wanted to take people to being more business performance, but we thought if we do that, people will think it's performance management. People will think, you know, so we've got to take people on that journey. And and so I think, you know, that language and the way that we take people and evolve that journey and don't just go in. And, and what I most hate about our industry is actually seeing all the experts and you see this on LinkedIn every day, actually taking chunks out of learning professionals like what they're doing is wrong or that something you know is bad and, and standing on their high horse and, and, and preaching about the perfect future. You know, I've been that person in a business who's come along and thought to change and take it on a journey and someone can come in, land on day one and go, well, this isn't very good, isn't it? And you don't want to go, well, you should have seen it six months ago. But you know, <laughs> you want people to, to understand that everyone is on that journey and we need to help people. And you know, I'd, I'd like to sort of, think from us, what do we need to do as an industry to get to that point where we can be start to realise that vision of 12 to 18 months time we were talking about earlier? What changes need to happen? What do we need to help people with? It's a good question. I think one of the things that I'm noticing that's standing out as you asked that question, James, is around people's understanding of what this actually looks like, you know, and 
that could be because that's not there yet. We don't know what that looks like, but I think some of uh, some of the language and this goes back to that use of language. Some of that. So, so terms like blended learning, online learning, which you, you mentioned at the beginning, you know, e-learning, they all bring with them different understanding and experiences. So I think sometimes when you talk, even take the word blended learning, for example, that is seen differently by different people in different organisations, all in L&D. But what that looks like and how it comes to life can be really challenging. So you talk about it and you assume you're all on the same page, but it's that typical, you know, as you're on the journey and we've, you know, we work with a number of clients around this, obviously at the moment, Erica and I, and as you start entering into that journey of blended learning, you realise that you're having to align yourselves along the way to get to the outcome that you both expected. I think that's a big thing there is actually what does what does that endpoint even look like? You know, if we're looking at bringing in different mediums, different way of learning, you know, we talked about accessing, whether it's podcasts, accessing information online, instructions, as you said, Katie, you know, you go to the Internet to find things. So how does that look? How do you embed that into a strategy? And I think that's the that feels like a big piece of work that needs to be done. And I, but I think following on from that as well, it's not one size fits all. So that's going to look different for different organisations. I think that's one of the things that we've got an issue with at the moment. If you're in a specific industry, they go out and look for the, the same industry and what they're doing and copy it. If you do that, you're, you're one going to get the same thing everywhere, but you're not going to achieve the same results because different businesses have different problems. Yeah. So I think hopefully we can use like how we're learning and that that kind of mentality to then bring that into the workplace, but still have that level of understanding that that will look different in different different workplaces because you've got different job types. You might have warehouses, you know, you've got different levels of training that you do need to give people. Um, so people aren't setting fires everywhere, James, and they're not hurting themselves <laughs> everywhere. But, you know, so so that there is a difference with that. So it is having that understanding, but I think it's, it's trying to change people's mindsets to what that is and kind of go away from online training's boring and dull. Um, and yeah. that's the big step that we need to take, yeah. And I think what I think you're absolutely right, Katie. And what comes with that is empowerment. James, mm -hmm. you said earlier, knowledge police in terms like we're the we're the blocker in the in the chain, aren't we? We're the people that say, you know, I could give you a little bit of L and D budget, but I'm not too sure. Go away and write a paper for me. And ah, da, 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 hang on, that's that's not where we should be at all. We should be empowering and enabling for you to go and own your own career and your own development and you know curating the best kind of materials and not going away and writing a 10-week course and then by the time you've written the 10-week course is out of date anyway and nobody's interested you know so it, it's it's about I think elevating our own expectations of, of what this means and how can we open the door rather than kind of close the close the gates that we're kind of sometimes known for I suppose not being the function that says no because saying the function that is yes as long as we can do this to the best possibility and the best outcome that we can for our people and our clients it's that my, mindset shift again but within ourselves. I think Erica on your point there it's the democratization of learning is something I you know. Oh, that's having... a good term James <laughs> democratization of learning. <laughs> but I've always felt in, you know, you get into organisations and, you know, you said someone's going to come and write a paper or, or request some budget and the budget is tends to be ring fenced to maybe your sales function because that's where money comes in or your big population functions or your high potential people in an organisation. You find learning budget tends to have been structured around initiatives or structural things within an organisation. And for me, it's all very good to stand and, and offer a vision of a future. 
which often is opaque and misunderstood and Haley talked about how we could say this is something and a hundred people will understand it differently but if we don't help learning professionals on that journey in the create in that being creative so if you've got a budget that's ring fenced to here here and here we're facing a pan pandemic you know we're coming out at the end of that we're then facing a recession some businesses have done amazingly well some have just about scraped by and there's going to be a challenge on everyone's budget and i think helping l d people understand how to really creatively and innovatively use their budget to achieve business results and be able to step back from some of those big programs that are eating up a lot of the budget and maybe aren't adding as much value as they can so to me there's a real opportunity to drive change through adding value back but we need to help people see what those solutions are and give people the freedom to do something different to try a different approach to that to experiment which again is some of that fear of I've got the budget I need to be seen to be doing something I need to measure something so if we can empower people to align to business goals treat that budget like it is your own money you know we run small businesses we know what that's like you have to really think about what's that what's happening and and give people that level of control and that level of empowerment because I think that will get the innovation and creativity we're talking about if you're coming along with what's happened before and someone's saying well how are we going to do our hypo program that's the wrong question it's how are we going to make sure our highly talented people progress and are retained and engaged in the business and we're able to give everyone just not those 20 people the opportunity to progress so to me it's asking the better questions will help drive the innovation you're absolutely right and what comes with that as well is is enabling experiences for people you know going back to the language piece as well so you know I've I, you're running a business you're absolutely right you learn things that you'd never even consider when you were in corporate L&D uh, and, and budget management is a classic example of that decision making commerciality um, you, you know you, you, I can't even think of the things that you learn but it is completely different so uh, one of the things that I, I rant about a little bit is um, and I was terrible for this when I was at British Gas is, is sometimes how HR and L&D treat their subcontractors and the 90 day take payment terms and you're both smiling so I can see you know, that's obviously a conversation that you guys have had at some point like we have you know so I, I wish I'd gone and sought development when I was managing various uh, training companies and subcontractors when I was at British Gas because I probably wasn't in the space where I recognised I could have been a lot better to them, I could have treated them better, I could have supported them as a true partnership rather than a master servant type relationship. So, so I think the requirement on the in-house L&D is now very, very different compared to it was 18 months ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, because to your point, we're not going to have the big fat budgets that we used to have where we're spending 90k on a senior L&D business partner and 150k on a head of L&D. We don't have that money anymore. But what we do have is access to some really, really great people in the market who can flex like a concertina in regards to your requirements. But you've got to treat them right. You've got to pay them on time. You've got to spend the time giving them the right brief. All of these skills are new for in-house L&D, I think. 
So it's so the requirement, and that's just one example. You know, the, there's a massive requirement for in-house L&D to now say, right, what is my state of play? And what do I need to be able to manage that in that space? Sorry, that was a little bit soapbox there, but <laughs> I generally think there's a requirement for that now. I think there's so many more components, isn't there now, to what we're doing? So you've got things, if you think about all the different elements that a virtual learning offer creates in terms of components, it's different now, isn't it? So a day's face-to-face programme might become four or five different elements and there might be one or two or three different specialists that can provide those elements. So I suppose you're having to deal with more components, more people, and that's bringing bringing a different, a different thing to it as well. And I think one of the things that I've just, as I've been listening to you all talking, I've just been picturing this square peg in a round hole and I think that sort of starts to summarise for me where we've where where we are in terms of where L&D was to where L&D is going and you can't keep squeezing you know or trying to ram your square peg into a into a round hole because it's not going to fit and I think that to me summarises and and you know starts to reflect quite a lot of the things that we've spoken about already today is people are lifting um, and organisations are lifting what they've done really well and sort of bringing that into the online space and expecting that to to take off in the same way and then become confused as to why that's not happening or why it's not having the same effect. I think you've seen some interesting transitions just picking up on both of those points because you know, I hate that L&D bashing, but there are there are a set of people out there who are who are stuck in quite a difficult place. You know, we were t- Katie and I were talking about this earlier, actually, that people who are in head of L&Ds or, or senior roles in L&D may, might previously have almost ignored online stuff until the last year. A lot of people have devolved that down into their teams. Not everyone, there's some people, but there are a set of people out there who are now heading functions they are struggling to keep up to understand. And it's quite a lonely position to be in for those people. And having that help and support and trying to reimagine what the future looks like. And there's so much unhelpful information out there for them because we work a lot with L&D tech and tech providers and they all look the same. Some of them have got great marketing. They'll use a load of jargon that doesn't help you. And you're sat there looking at this market, trying to work out what you should do. Meanwhile, you're being sold these success stories from elsewhere of amazing results. And if you scratch below the surface, they're normally implementation stories, if we're being honest. They're normally we've managed to get 30,000 people using this system every day. But and, and people get caught up in this whole I need to do this and I need to make this work. And it's being able to to be to step back and have that space of I'm trying to achieve something here. I probably need a different set of support than I did before. I can't be the person who knows everything. I might need to bring some partners in from outside. I might need to upskill my team. I might need to make some difficult choices around my team and and restructure that. But I, you know, that's a difficult place to be in. And and people are not normally used to doing that. And Hayley, you talked about almost that procurement function as well. And Eric, you've talked about that where people, some people will just buy in training. And they're very good at that relationship. And now they're having to manage more than just relationships and an in-house function. So that's changed for those people. Other people have been entirely in-house, but now they can't be. They need to procure in. So I think there's so much moving, shifting world for people that having that support, having that openness, having that dialogue, being able to work with people and have constructive conversations is going to help people. But we need to be open about that stuff and not just 
present this perfect picture and I'm doing great or we've got to have that space for people to be vulnerable. This isn't working. I'm not sure what to do here. Has anyone done this? And there are spaces that people do that, but there are there are also lots of I'm just going to show my best bit or I'm just going to show the equivalent of my classroom full of people on Zoom all happily engaged and we need to get past that to really collaborate on the future. Well, I mean, that's that's social media for you as well, isn't it? That's life. That's what we all see out mm -hmm. there, whether it's L&D or whether it's life in general. People post the best bits. And I suppose that, you know, there's always going to be a reason why you don't always hear that the, the harder stuff. But without hearing it, you don't really know. There's no way of being able to support the the, the wider function. And it is, it is absolutely critical at the moment, I think, for teams to to get through this. And, and L&D, you know, it's it's fundamental at the moment because almost any organisation that you speak to is going to be going through a change. And what happens when organisations start going through tech change? L&D come in to support and, and, and implement training and interventions to support that. So I think it's 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 fundamental that we get this right at this point. And I think there's a real risk with with this turning point now as we start to come out of lockdown and things start to change and businesses are planning ahead. There's a real risk to think, oh, well, we haven't touched on it yet. and We don't need to now, um, you know, and that that might well we might start to see that play out maybe in the next few months as well. Yeah, I think organisations probably relied on their people as well, like during COVID to kind of make all those changes and they did loads of great things and they changed everything, got everything turned around quick. And then I'd hate for them to then go back out, out coming out of lockdown to then not trust those people, because I think you find that in organisations like pre-COVID, people didn't trust their people. So you probably have tons of great SMEs content creators whatever in your business but they don't recognize that because they think only lnd can be those people but things are changing we've got people that use tiktok and that they use instagram you know people are making content all the time why don't we do that you know and it would be a shame to see that for organizations to because they'll lose their people in the end won't they because they're not going to have that trust and that honesty so Something that's always really baffled me on that point as well is we're addicted to our phones. We're on our phones all the time. You know, we lose hours looking at our phones. So yet for some reason, we just welcome that and we almost can't come off it. So what is the difference when it comes to virtual learning or or gathering information from the Internet, which enables us to learn and grow within our organisations? That's where people see we seem to struggle to find that engagement and really engage people with what's happening in front of them. Yet with shopping, with the news with whatever we go off and find on Twitter or Instagram we get absolutely lost in 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 clickbait and, and looking at the next thing and I think where that that feels to me like a gap how can that that sort of clicking from one thing to the other you know how can that be mirrored within the learning and development teams how can we because that would empower people to learn for themselves because they'd be finding the things they want to find they'd be seeing the things that they want to see just like we all do online all the time I think that's a bit of forced fun though that's how it seems it is that it's fake fun your work and making it for you they're pushing it out yeah. and it kind of feels like you have to do that and I think because traditionally you're always forced to do learning aren't you so whether it's your fire safety your manual handling whatever and then if if that team's then creating content for you it might be really good content but you're kind of like part of you doesn't want to look at it just because of what you've had that experience of before so you need to really change that and not come across as learning I, like, when i've done it before having things as cons 
actually works better and then attaching learning onto the back of that so you're kind of getting people in by having a cool headline but then going but if you want to know more about this here's a, a video on it or whatever so it's, i think it's just changing the way that people do and you're more kind of marketing and advertising your learning and getting those clickbait bits in to draw people in as opposed to kind of pushing that out and making them do it comes down to empowerment again doesn't it and mm. organizational culture and how we are we parental as lnd historically telling people what to do and why and if you don't do your training you'll get a report that goes to the head of and they'll come and tell you off and you know we've all but been they there. haven't done it either well, okay, you're the last person to do it right oh you're the last yeah. person to do it yeah, the, yeah you've not done it you're sending yeah. out the report which is always well, you don't have, you have to yeah. Yeah, you wrote you're sending it, it to their you don't have to do it Aaron. yeah LNA yeah. Attempt, yeah. yeah exactly it's leading by example so yeah that's so true actually so mm. true. I, I think one of the key things that i've definitely seen in lockdown and i hope that will continue and it, it was international women's day yesterday wasn't it and it was fantastic seeing the amount of people male and female and other genders and etc just really collaborating and celebrating the people that they work with and the people that challenge them and the people that help them and all this kind of stuff and i've really seen that accelerate over the last 18 months and maybe that's my view of the world because i've been in business for 18 months that might be why i've seen more of that compared to corporate but actually i hope that's something that really starts to conti or continues to play through uh, once everything kind of starts to settle down a little bit i think it's to me it's around purpose as well so previously we were trying to force you know you've talked about force fun or pushing things out being parental which one of the jobs of, of an organization is to help people to create a what's in it for me why should i do this not just get lost in the endless track of stuff but be more purposeful in how i'm spending my time and one of the things I found about the pandemic is almost you feel like you've had less time in some ways and you have to use your time quite valuably and you don't have that sort of more you, a conversation like this, which is more exploratory. You, you tend to get more agenda driven stuff and things like that. Whereas if we're looking at purpose going forward, we need to get into people's lives and say, look, this may not be compliance with forcing out to you. This is something that's going to help you. So if we're talking around their job, you know, top tips, people will all do that in their personal life. Top tips on this, a recipe that's going to improve that. But so if it's linked back to positive enhancements they can see in their job and putting that somewhere where they can get it helps. But sometimes in as an organisation, we have to change the mindset of people or we have to get people to see beyond what they can see. And that might be like you talked about the World Economic Forum and skills earlier, Erica. We might be having to say to people, you don't see that in six months time, this job has or this skill set has a, a limit on it. So we're going to have to create that what's in it for me. And I think there's a different set of skills within forcing out learning to people that they can see the benefit of and actually think about how we transition mindset, open up more opportunities for people to collaborate and shape, shape a future that's less certain. And if we haven't learned that this year, I don't know what we have learned. So how we can put that into practice on an ongoing basis to help people lead better into ambiguity. Because Lo and behold, organisations that couldn't work from home achieved it in a few weeks. People who couldn't service customers in a remote way have achieved it in a few weeks. So I think it's trying to take that forward and keep that going so that we can approach every problem in a way that doesn't feel 
as rushed but maybe feels like it has that level of drive innovation creativity will get it sorted will keep innovating and moving it's given us some great training content all this hasn't it in managing change and leadership and <laughs> we've got some good stuff to start good examples to start drawing on and i think i'm using it all the yeah. time you know talking about how I, when i when i'm doing leadership and management training often using covid as a great context to open those conversations and get people reflecting on what they've been through and and how they can use that to to get better at, at managing and leading through through ambiguous times Definitely. And I think there's two elements here because we've talked quite a lot around mindset, but there's we, you know, Erica and I talk all the time about this being a mindset shift and a skill set shift and the two and how the two align, because, you know, it's all very well. We've talked a lot about people having to shift their mindsets at the moment to be able to think differently, approach things differently. But with that comes a completely different set of skills. So it's about supporting both of those things, isn't it, in L&D so that they can really support each other and so that people feel supported and not hung out to dry because, you know, people are going through challenging times and they need to know that they're in this safe environment and a psychological safety within organizations I think is becoming more and more important now as well. Yeah and that's uh, you know the need for, to, for that to be driven from the top as well and you know what, what kind of I guess top down grassroots up so you know we're hearing a lot around this tidal wave of mental health challenges which is coming towards us quite quickly now are we setting up our leaders and managers to have compassionate conversations so rather than you know just managing tasks and we've probably talked about this for like the last 20 years in L&D around you know psychometrics tasks versus people focus and all that but actually James to your point earlier around practical tips are you sitting down, sitting down, whether that's through a screen, face to face, whatever, and saying, how are you? Just tell me what the last 18 months has been like for you. How, how are the kids? You know, what's, what's been going on at home? Are we setting up our managers and leaders just to have those human conversations? Or are we setting them up to look at software that tracks how many clicks per day our people have been doing while they've been working at home? I've heard both stories. I'd like to think there's more of the former than the latter, but is there? I don't know. And as L&D people, are we thinking around compassionate leadership, psychologically, psychological safety, you know, this kind of leadership culture and climate that we need to be forging to enable our workforces to come to work and be productive and look after themselves? Because that is a bigger thing now. The look after themselves is a lot bigger than what it was before. And that's got more complex as well, because, you know, with the working from home debate, the return to the office debate, and we regularly talk about this and there seems to be the two, you know, everyone says, oh, people always need choice. And then we I very strongly believe that people don't always have that choice either, you know, and I, my fear is we roll forward to a, a world where having a workplace is not a right and therefore you don't have a choice of going to work. The expectation is I'm going to interview Erica, you Hayley, Erica you can work from home, Hayley it's challenging for you to work from home so cheaper for me I'll take Erica, do you know what I mean? It, there yeah. could be a whole thing around looking at the implications and the broader things that people need to consider as leaders and managers and even HR functions and businesses to look at the world in a more holistic way that's not so black and white that can be measured by clicks because you know you might be in a five bed house where you can bake bread on your lunch break and go for country walks, which is some people's version of working from home. You might be in a two bed flat homeschooling six people 
with two other flatmates. You know, it, there's a whole set of difference that people are dealing with and will continue to deal with. And I think having that richer approach and skill set has become more important. But broadening that out and helping people to develop in that way is critical because I think it will evolve. Today, we've talked on lots and lots of subjects about the future of L&D. Is there any last messages or anything else you haven't mentioned so far that you want to share? For me, it's um, don't be afraid to do something different. Don't just ping back to how it was before. You know, what's gone well, what could be even better? Challenge yourself around that. Make a difference because it's easy just to kind of go back and do what we've done before. Yeah, I think so. I think if if I think no matter how long, how far along this journey you are, it doesn't matter. Just be on the journey. So, you know, if you've not even started uh, thinking about transforming L&D to the future, it doesn't matter. It doesn't mean that when lockdown ends, we can just carry on and ping back, you know, at least take the first step and start on that journey at whatever point you're at, I think is is important at the moment as well. Katie? Yeah, kind of the same as above. I can't think of anything else because I'm just trying to think of what we haven't said. We spoke about a lot of different things, but I think like one of my points before is just using that innovation and that that kind of flexibility and and that kind of open mindset approach that we've had to have um, because things have forced us to do that because we've gone through something no one ever, has ever gone through before. Continue with that and use that not just even in learning, just in all aspects of people's lives as well, and just be more kind to people as well. Um, and have that level of understanding that that people do think about things differently to you. You're not always right. And sometimes there isn't a right or wrong answer anyway. And and be more open to, to kind of different processes in the way that you can do it, because, again, it might change things for the better. So. Yeah, I think for me, it's one of the messages I've taken away from our conversation is just that everyone's on an individual journey. And they, you know, they're going to be working through, they're going to be trying that, but they're not on their own. You don't have to be on your own on that journey. There's people out there you can share, there's support out there, there's learning you might need to do. So, you know, embrace that journey, embrace that change and, and, and try to make that journey right for you. Thank you very much for joining us today. It's been a really, really great conversation in terms of, you know, bouncing off each other, lots of different ideas. If people do want to connect with you, find out a little bit more about yourselves, how's the best way of them doing that? Yeah, so um, the company is Quantum Rise Talent Group Limited. So Hayley at quantumrise.co.uk or Erica at quantumrise.co.uk. Uh, normal social media channels, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, get in touch, reach out and uh, we'd love to help. Brilliant. Thank you very much. And we'll make sure all of those links are in the show notes below. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks very much for joining us today, James. I think it's really interesting that you're saying that 44% of skills um, will actually change by 2025. And obviously now we're in 2021, that's not too far away. So it's something that we definitely need to start looking at as an industry.